0: Hello, and welcome to The Appetite, a podcast brought to you by Opal Food and Body Wisdom. I'm Kara Bozzi. I'm the clinical director and co-founder of Opal, as well as the director of the exercise and sport program. Today, we're going to be re-releasing an episode that we released in 2018, where we interviewed Sally Revere, who's the head cross-country coach at Lakeside High School. She is an incredible coach, and we believe The wisdom that she brought into this interview is very relevant for today and for this season of being in the pandemic. The sports world has completely been flipped upside down as we have been trying to figure out ways that we can still meaningfully participate in our sport communities while also staying safe and staying protected with the coronavirus. And for a lot of teams, that's meant meeting over Zoom, doing workouts over the computer, building community by being on the video calls, right? So it's looked really different this fall. That still doesn't mean that we can't be training and being a community together. And I think coaches have had to be really creative and innovative around what does it look like to be a coach right now? And what does it mean to be an athlete and a teammate? I think that what Sally has to say in this interview is very relevant for these times. And in fact, some of the practices that she talks about, I wonder what we can use in an online way, as well as what are some of the things she's saying that can translate into a zoom platform. She talks about temperament. She talks about how she has conversations about relationship to food. How does she treat each athlete uniquely These are all things as coaches you can be thinking about, and as athletes, you can be considering your own ways of maybe self-advocacy with your coach or with your team as things have been really changed. I also think how this pandemic has really highlighted mental health. And I know for me, I've gotten the chance to be invited into multiple teams this fall to talk about things that relate to the whole athlete outside of training. I actually had the good fortune of catching up with Sally the last couple of weeks and seeing how she was doing. And she was talking to me about, again, the creative ways that they've figured out how to stay connected as a community on her team. They haven't gotten to meet in person at all, but instead she's actually had her athletes do a virtual race across the country where they've done a relay and they've gotten to learn about different places and cities and monuments and history across the United States as they've been doing this virtual relay. So she's continued to find playfulness and connection, again, be as innovative and creative as possible in keeping up with the community of the team, despite all of the significant limitations of this fall. So I hope you enjoy listening to this interview. You get to hear Carter's voice again and sit back and, and listen to the wisdom of Sally Revere.
1: Today, we're talking to Sally Revere. She's the head cross-country and track and field coach for Lakeside High School here in Seattle. She's also a former collegiate athlete herself and has a unique perspective on coaching athletes in a manner that really puts the entirety of an athlete's personhood at the center of the experience on her teams. Our interview with her initially came about because of Opal co-founder Cara Bozzi's passion for speaking with coaches— This is something that Kara pursues often as an extension of our sport and exercise program and out of her own desire to inspire coaches to realize the impact they can have on their athletes' relationships with food and body. Today, though, Sally Revere will be doing a lot of the inspiring, sharing with us ways that she advocates for community and body wisdom amongst her athletes. So last week we talked about (laughs) the athletic temperament in particular and what makes an athlete good and then also what of that temperament can often lead to maybe some issues around the relationship to food and the relationship to body and even to sport mm-hmm. itself. Um, so today we're going to be talking with Sally Revere. And Kara, can you kind of give us a little bit of an introduction around yes. why we're
0: having her in the studio today? Well, first of all, I'm super excited to have Sally as a guest today. So Sally is the distance cross-country and track coach at Lakeside High School and i have had the privilege i was able to meet her about four years ago i think is that right sally i
2: think it's It's about about, that yeah
0: yeah um so my husband is a distance cross-country coach at oday high school and when he knows obviously my love and passion um, of working with athletes um, and talking about food and body image issues. And he said, you know who you need to talk to? You need to talk to Sally. (laughs) So he, (laughs) he connected us. And I think Sally and another coach and I had lunch and I fell in love right away with (laughs) Sally and just the, the incredible, um, perspective she brings into coaching and, you know, as my husband would say, too, she's one of the most respected voices amongst the peers of of coaches in the in this area. And so I feel really privileged and honored that we could have her as a guest today. Um, so Sally, why don't you share a little bit more with the audience about a little of your your history, your story, um some so that people have and and some context for you? Sure. I'm really excited to be
2: here. Thank you. And it's yeah. because it's of my love of you and your program at Opal that I'm here. So thank you for having me. Um, I was a distance runner at Lakeside High School way back in the day. Um, And when women's running was just starting out, uh, Title IX was probably in its fourth or fifth year of existence and wound up um, having the good fortune of having a phenomenal coach um, at Lakeside who uh, thought of athletes as a whole Person, not just an athletic being, thought of women as being as capable as men, which also at the time was very rare. Um, And uh, just kind of fell in love with the sport and then fell in love with life, including the sport, and have maintained a great relationship with distance running, especially uh, ever since. And so I have wound up coaching at Lakeside now for over 30 years and um, have. During that time, run collegiately, uh, also, and was a scholarship athlete, as were you, I think. Yes, and um, had a very interesting time in college versus my high school career. Um, it was, it was very different in terms of how I was trained and that I was like an athletic being, not a whole being. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, coaching has allowed me, hopefully, to help bring back the sport into being part of the fabric of being a person and not just an athlete. So um, I'm delighted to be here and I'm delighted to Mm. talk about conversations that I think are important. And we were just discussing this on the way over um, to hear, Actually, it's interesting that some of the conversation topics are the exact same that Mm. I had when I was an athlete way back. So same concerns. Same, same concerns. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Some, which is just so interesting that it hasn't moved
0: away from that in some realms. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Well, it's fun to hear you put words to that because you're putting language to what I already experienced with you is it's very clear that you care about your whole athletes. That's one thing that I've been really inspired by hearing just that you're not just only focused on the performance side. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. Yeah so to reference you know the the conversation from our last episode I'd love to hear your perspective as a coach on what you think contributes to an athlete's success I think it there are so many facets to it Um, I
2: think first of all it's just the definition of success in and of itself Um, I think different temperaments define success differently Mm -hmm. Um, I think the program that I'm involved in at least and, and try to have everybody come together around is that success uh, needs to be defined by each individual athlete very, very closely and very authentically for that person. Um, success could be just getting fit, just running a little bit faster or a little bit farther than when they started at the beginning of the season. Success could could mean um, running as strongly as the person possibly can and seeing what the outcome is. Um, so success, I think, Motivation is part of it, Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that motivation needs to be tied to goals that are achievable but that aren't limiting. I think if people say I want to run a five-minute mile or four-minute mile or whatever it is, um, that that's a very limiting goal. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think part of success is making your goals attainable, even if they're a stretch, but um, making sure that those goals aren't limiting. Mm -hmm. So being motivated um, I think is a, is a key. Uh, another one, another key to success is having a plan that you're totally bought into and that you're part of making. Mm. So somebody isn't preaching to you what you're, you have to do with your body, yeah. but you having a conversation and making choices about what you're doing with your body, um, knowing as many different ideas as possible so that you're actually making that choice to do that. Mm. Um, and then I think, uh, Finding joy uh, is going to really help with success. I Mm -hmm. think if you don't have joy along the way and every day is drudgery and every day is just pounding out miles or pounding out hours of workouts or whatever, um, I just don't think Mm -hmm. ultimately success is going to be achieved even if there's a win or there's a gold medal or whatever. Um, So making sure that you have little incremental goals that you're meeting almost on a daily basis Mm -hmm. or making sure that there are other things involved in your workouts in the day, including being with other people that bring you joy, I think that's I think that's key.
0: Mm-hmm. One thing we've talked about before on this podcast is how often an athlete's experience is they start off entering into the sport with a lot of joy, like in youth sports, and then as things get more competitive, it seems like there's more propensity for joy to be kind of sucked out of the experience. What's been... As a high school coach, what have in a in a competitive program what's been your experience of kind of the joy component with your athletes? I think we structure moments of joy if you can yeah. call it that um, <laughs> into every
2: day we meet in a large circle at the beginning of every day and we have a large program with a lot of kids in it um, and we do goofy things at the beginning of every day we meet in a large circle at the end of the day we go into an ice tank to you know, sit with our legs in cold water uh, in groups at the end of every day. I think we build in kind of some silliness and we build in some kind of game playing mm-hmm. into almost every day. And I think some people look forward. Forward to that probably
1: more than even the running aspect wow. of it. No, that's awesome, yeah.
0: and so community oriented. I hear in that just of
1: you're saying with other people, right? right? With it, with fellow teammates. Yes. So much emphasis on the connection mm-hmm. rather than just the one individual making sure that they are showing up to practice and then competing against their peers. That's mm-hmm. right, yeah. and and especially on days of super hard workouts. I think those moments of
2: giddiness or silliness at the beginning set the tone that we're we're all there to do some really hard work, but we're also there to be people. Yeah, and we're we're there to, we're there because we want to be there. We're opting in.
0: Mm-hmm. You know,
2: it's not a mandatory thing. So,
0: and I like it how it, um, you know, not taking ourselves maybe too seriously. And as a, we we reference the temperament of having an overcontrolled temperament, and I think a lot of, I think a lot of overcontrolled temperaments end up going into the sport of distance running, especially in the in mm-hmm. when it gets more competitive. And so I like that practice because it helps the The athlete tap into a more non productive, silly, right moments that they probably. That's good to stretch them in that way, right? It, and it does make some of
2: them very uncomfortable. Yeah. And they are the word tapping actually cracks me up because they're tapping their fingers and they're, <laughs> they're just ready to go. Yeah, ready to go. Yeah, ready to go. Like this isn't productive. No, this isn't. I don't <laughs> care if what her favorite ice cream flavor is. I yeah. really don't. I really want to get out and do my workout. Thank <laughs> you very much. Yeah. Um, but talking about the value of that and talking about <laughs> the value of compartmentalizing mm. and using your mind in different ways is mm. is really important. So do you make that explicit of why you're doing absolutely, this? yeah? We are really, really transparent about the things that we do and why we do that. What do you That's typically cool. say uh, that we're going to start? When we're explaining the season, we're going to start the day um, with question of the day, and they're mm. going to uh, we're going to go around in a circle, and there are 100 and, you know 100 of us talking and answering these questions, and we wow. want everybody to be respectful, and we really want you to learn about your teammates, and uh, we we think that it's really important as you're running to know that you're running on a team and with people, and to know who those people are, and that you're going to be stronger because of their support. So cool. Yeah.
0: Oh, I love it. Pretty fun. I mean, here we're talking about setting team culture. I know. And how a coach has a lot of power in how to set that team culture. It's really fun to hear that, those specifics.
1: Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. I hadn't even thought of that as an option. I mean, I guess probably a lot of coaches wouldn't um, necessarily think of being creative in that way. I haven't encountered a coach that way. Yeah. I really love that. That's
0: why we have Sally here. I know, thank (laughs)
1: you. (laughs) (laughs) She can share all her magic. (laughs) Um,
0: So to get a little more specific about food and body image um, concerns, I'd love to hear, again, your perspective as a coach about how you think about food and body image issues, knowing that, as both of us know, that's definitely a part of athletes' experiences and figuring that out. Um, So I'd love to hear just sort of how you've addressed those things, how you think about them. Kind of, you can you can take it as specific as you want. Um,
2: in our program, we have a number of things that we do every day, including that question circle mm-hmm. thing at the beginning. Another thing is stretch. Another thing is doing these ice baths. Another thing is talking about food and making sure that um, food is being addressed. Mm-hmm. Um, so we... We'll give little tidbits about food, just ideas to pass through. Uh, If somebody looks like they haven't eaten or haven't slept, um, we'll make Mm -hmm. sure to chat with them and then uh, maybe bring it to the whole circle. Not that you didn't eat today, but looks like there's some faces out here that didn't have time to eat lunch today. It's a really hard workout today and you guys aren't properly fueled. We need to talk about that. So people who haven't eaten enough, please pull over to the side. Let's figure out what we're gonna do with you today. We're probably going to awesome. scale back even their workouts on that given day. Um, they need to know mm. on a daily basis that fueling just has to happen, and different workouts require different fuel loads. And And so if we've got a big mileage day coming up, we'll say, guys, big mileage day coming up. Let's make sure to do the right things in the evening before. We also kind of um, incorporate food as a playful thing, uh, so we'll have a snack bar with a whole bunch of different foods that maybe people haven't tried before. They get to p- pack snack bags for the next day and try snacking. There are many kids who have never tried snacking, either oh. because they're so regimented that they won't um, or that they just never have thought of the possibility mm-hmm. of pulling out something in between classes and what? eating it. Yeah, <laughs>
1: Wow. So,
2: so, so fun. So fun. <laughs> yeah, and you get some, I mean, it's not crazy to me, but, you know, seaweed and things like that out there yeah. that some kids really are just like, on edge, they don't. <laughs> they don't know about that. Um, talk about smoothies, and sometimes we'll make some wackier smoothies just for mm. people. Oh, I would never drink kale, you know. So we tried kale and avocado smoothies one day. Just, it, but it's brought it's brought into the culture uh, on a daily basis with equal emphasis as everything else, including sleep, um, stress management, um, deep breathing, you know, mm. relaxation, all those things. So it's just part of the. The daily routine, and I think because of that, it kind of demystifies, but mm. but makes it very important. Um, we talk about things kind of like you would talk about your brushing your teeth—just yeah. right. something you do yep, every day. Right. Well, fueling. What are we right. going to do every day? We also talk about experimentation because different people's bodies react differently to different um, fuels, and uh, we go, we try to push people into kind of uncomfortable places sometimes oh I could never eat a whole sandwich before my race well why not well I think Mm -hmm. I might get sick well can we try it you know and then wow it's pretty amazing you didn't or the other one (laughs) the kid who gets sick at the end of every race which we do have those people saying 30 minutes before let's try eating let's try eating some bagel let's just see what see what that does two of them two of them last fall puke free at the end of races. no way solve the, the problem yeah, oh solve solved the problem and just so excited that they, I mean they don't like puking either so right
0: there you go. <laughs> I love the how the wisdom, the food and body wisdom that I hear in this of of really working with individuals and helping them become um, just ex, you know more attuned and knowing of themselves mm-hmm. instead of like a prescriptive ac- approach that I think often is is what's used um, in, as far as nutrition and sports nutrition is that maybe you're taking some of the things you know about nutrition, but then having people experiment. I, lo- I That's so cool. Mm-hmm. And since we do it on a daily
2: basis from early season on, then by the end of the season, they actually do have patterns and routines, mm-hmm. but it's not regimented. Um, but they know, oh, this is the type of food I like. This is the quantity I like. Mm-hmm. Um, and And so by the end, they actually have kind of set patterns that are good for themselves. We try to make it sure that they aren't – Beholden to a type of yogurt or a type of something, because when we go traveling,
1: right? Well, they might not be able to find it. No, not
2: no, in, no. not in the least, not in the least. Um, so we try to, to to lighten up on the the specifics of things, but but just get some kind of patterns going. It also helps, I think, um, with people who are looking at a hundred different other people in the room and saying, "Oh, that person is tall and lean, and that person is shorter and more stockily built," and and then. Because we're individualizing, and because we're having everybody do their own thing, um, we're individualizing workouts as well within mm-hmm. a within a bandwidth, um, and people are understanding based on how their bodies feel how they can have the same results as other people who are very different In looking, their body shape. right? Mm-hmm. And even that metabolisms are different, yeah, mm-hmm. right? Yep. Some people can literally eat five snacks a day. We have a couple of kids that eat five full snacks, three full meals a day, eat ice cream for, you know, before bedtime kind of thing. And, and other people that just get so full after just a couple of bites of mm-hmm. things that, you know, and honoring that as long as it's producing great kind of feeling and no injuries and mm-hmm. no sicknesses um, is, is a great awesome.
0: thing. I also love hearing you saying how explicit you bring so that it's a regular conversation and therefore I imagine your athletes would feel more safe to talk to you about nutrition because you're regularly talking about it. It's not For sure. a taboo subject. And I've you know, I I've talked before um, about the power of silence and mm-hmm. how that can create a lot of problems even if a coach isn't saying something explicitly harmful. But by not talking about it, an athlete's going to do all their their own sort of connecting of dots and sometimes that's really problematic, so... That's so so true.
1: Yeah. I was thinking, I've been thinking about a client through this conversation that was younger, mentioned like, oh, yeah, none of the girls at school eat. That's just not a thing. They're not eating during the day. How do I figure out how to feel myself well when nobody's eating around me? Um, So I feel really struck by how powerful it is to have this little subculture of the team within the setting where where kids are able to learn, oh, I get to pay attention to myself in this way. I get to belong by actually taking care of myself and being right. curious about myself, which really isn't typical within a high school or even a college setting often. Mm-hmm. It's really wonderful. Um, when
2: we're going into after our stretching and before our icing, That's a, there's kind of a, always a log jam because it can the icing tank can only take 12 to 14 people at a time and we have a big team so it's rotating through um and that's when people eat their snacks mm-hmm. and that's when again just kind of not overtly um but just in casual conversation the coaches will go through and say snack do you have your snack what, what snack do you have oh you don't have one who has a snack because john didn't bring a snack today and or chocolate milk's mm-hmm. up there we, we, do you need to go grab a chocolate milk yeah, there's plenty of time before you go icing to grab a chocolate milk. So we, you make it normative with the everyone's doing it. Abso- absolutely, it's it. kind of like
0: bringing your rain jacket on a rainy yep. day, right? You just you bring <laughs> yeah, your you snack. Eat. It's yep. just yep. something you do every day. So. Yeah, so great, Sally. Uh, yeah, what what how have you handled it when somebody has had more of a problematic relationship with, food fu- nutri- uh fueling themselves or struggling with their body shape? So it, it
2: comes in kind of. Two two different ways. It seems the first is that we observationally have seen people who we feel are fairly regimented about what they eat, um, and we just bring it up in conversation, safe conversation, with um, just one on one, and say, you know, it looks it looks to us as though perhaps you you have really big time favorites on foods, and that there are certain hours and times that you might take that and not others. And you know, do you believe in snacking? And what do you think of what we've been saying? And how how does it resonate with you, trying to kind of suss out where their information has been coming from. Mm -hmm. Not that their information is correct, incorrect, um, but just to figure out, oh, this is what I read in X book and I'm going to go on X book. So then we talk about personalizing that and X book wasn't written for you. And so let's just make sure that you're not sick, you're not injured, that you're able to feel good when you're doing your workouts. And if any of those things aren't working then let's look to sleep and let's look to food to try to solve whatever mystery it is. Mm-hmm. Or if it's coming from parental sources, because sometimes that does too, that's that's a trickier one. Right. Um, mm-hmm. And then same thing, um, kind of ask in a nice way. So do your parents do research on nutrition? Mm-hmm. What, you know, were they athletes themselves? Talk about um, that and and ask if they feel like they could be adventurous and for a week or two try some snacks just to see and and mm-hmm. see what how yeah. they feel and what that feels like sometimes we get pushback on that which is fine and sometimes not and then the other one would be the other side would be um, when when we when we notice a weight loss or um, just an unhealthy pallor um, or, Uh, kind of a a malaise that just goes Mm -hmm. on. Um, And then we actually start a conversation a little bit differently about that. We just really think that this sport is so demanding and that, um, you know, they're burning calories in their sleep that we just don't think that the amount of going in is uh, enough to fuel working out. Mm -hmm. And and so then there are some other conversations. We have counselors to... that we can refer them to and bring parents in and things like that.
0: Yeah. Gosh, even hearing about your approach and the curiosity you're bringing and the questions you ask it just sounds so disarming, you know, it's Yeah, it does. sounds very just um exploratory which and really trying to understand them and not making assumptions about your athletes. So I just what a great I mean that sounds like a great approach. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we t- we talk about it. You know, this is just a piece of
2: life and yep. that they're going to make food choices and sleep choices and flexibility choices for their whole life so they, they need ownership on this thing for yep, sure right, yep. um, so no judgment but at the same time I,
0: mm-hmm. we don't want to deplete them right Have you ever had to come in more not heavy-handed that that's the word that's coming to my mind but um, have you had to, ever had to set any kind of boundaries or mm-hmm. yeah
2: yes um,
0: a couple of different times it hasn't been recently but
2: we've actually worked uh, with an outside institution. Uh to when the kids started getting help outside, mm-hmm. um, we were part of the team mm-hmm. that, that was that. And mm-hmm. so so we were trying really hard not to prevent the person from running because running was such an important aspect of that person's life. Mm-hmm. Um, but they had to hit some guidelines that were prescribed by outside physicians right. and things like that in order yeah. for them to continue to come yeah. with us. That was that was tough. Yeah.
0: Yeah, it's tough. yeah, it's, that seems also just kind of tricky of when does you, you knowing your scope and when mm-hmm. as a coach do, do you need to hand it over to other people for, right. for support and, and what's within your purview right right mm-hmm. for sure for sure. Um,
2: and a couple of people have come to us having kind of in a recovery w- with a story yeah. ab- about that and then we've worked with people outside on that too to bring them back into the fold, so to speak and mm. make sure that that stayed healthy.
0: Yeah, that's great. that's I can imagine a lot of, um, listeners, I mean, I'm having the experience of, oh, Sally, you're such a great coach. <laughs> and I just imagine athletes out there just really, you know, I, having a response to hearing what you're sharing. Um, what do you think it is that, it, that makes this difficult for other coaches? Like what barriers do you think other coaches have in addressing food and body image concerns? Um, Well, the one that comes to my mind too is
2: if if people are seeing their athletes as just that, as athletes, I think it's easy to overlook it accidentally because what you're looking at is a person who's on a relay and he or she needs to run a certain time and you're advancing to state. And um, if the person doesn't have the flu or something, then the person must be healthy. Um, So I think part of it could just be so wrapped up in the day-to-day athleticism that you're not looking at the whole person. I'm not criticizing the coaches for that at all. Um, I think another thing that coaches might think is that it's just not in their purview. It's just way too private. It's just, you know, it's Mm -hmm. it's a kind of a taboo topic and and that they think that they're passing judgment um, or that they don't know enough. And so they might be guessing wrong. And what happens if you disenfranchise an athlete by guessing wrong? Um, I guess I come from a point of view that if I if I do guess wrong, I'm hoping the athlete's going to understand that I came from a place that I want them to make great choices and that I'm concerned about their choices. Mm-hmm. And not, I'm not concerned about them as a person. I adore them. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just concerned about the choices. But I think some people worry that they'll
0: lose athletes that way. Would you? What would you say to that type of coach that's worried about that? Um, I think. <clears throat> I think I would
2: say, if you saw that that kid was doing something uh, that wasn't a good choice elsewhere, whether it was, I don't know, drinking or 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 doing having bad behavior, um, that I don't think that person would worry about it,
1: mm-hmm. and
2: that that this is this is as serious or more serious because it's a lifelong mm-hmm. choice that this person's making or starting a pattern of lifelong choices so that, you know, it's kind of exciting to be maybe on the forefront of helping that person make some really great choices at a really, really critical stage in their life yeah. as opposed to letting someone else try to clean up those mm-hmm. choices later in life.
1: Yeah. yeah, It's so wonderful, too, that there's an assumption in that that their performance within the sport and their training is – tied to their eating. Um, and I, I feel like that might be talked about more often outside of this context And you know, you need to eat really well. It needs to go this way, that way. But, you know, if you're focused so much on their body and their athleticism in this way, to not talk about the fact that they need to be nourished for it feels like, I mean, at least from my side, it's like duh I gotta eat you know <laughs> that's right but interestingly yeah. and I think in, this, yeah. in the
0: in the sport of distance running that is not the duh I mean no. I think there's I mean maybe it's getting a little bit better now but just this right like the the association between thin and fast mm. um or as as low weight as, as you can for your body that's that's going to equate to peak performance and then kids just kind of trying to figure out how to lose weight. Right. Right. And then what does that look like for what they're doing with their food. And so it's it's interesting because now I could say no duh. But right. back then, whoa, that was not that wasn't that obvious. Mm-hmm. No. And we're putting in huge miles. Yeah. Right? Huge miles Lots with of no, miles. With no food. Wow. Right. Yeah. It's actually incredible like yeah, it's kind of mind blowing. Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: I, I, enter, I well, entered i I, I yeah. entered
2: I entered college under a hundred pounds mm. doing wow. You know, 80 mile weeks. It was, mm-hmm. I
1: don't know how that happened. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yep. <laughs> um, so yeah. I was just going to ask about, you know, the the way that you coach feels so, like you said, person-centered, really holistic, um, really um, relational as well. And I can, you know, only imagine the, the different variety of voices that you had. In your, in your life as an athlete, um, and I'm curious about how some of those influenced you or, or influenced you maybe to go another way.
2: <laughs> so as I said before, my high school coach was phenomenal. Yeah. His name, I'm going to give a shout-out, is, all? All right. uh, is Hugh Tower, and uh, he just was ahead head of every curve that was around at the time, and he was all about the whole person, and... Uh, had all sorts of nutrition graphs at the time, right? I mean, just, it, which was interesting, but he was just imparting information is what he was doing. I mean, that's just all he was doing was giving you information for you to mm-hmm. utilize to your best best way that you could possible. Um, and then I went from there uh, to a collegiate running experience. And over one summer, you know, I went from one training regime that was be- very much me focused and how I felt and all that to being handed workouts in absentia because it was summer before we started even running together as a group Um, and having some food dictated Mm. and which at the time felt exciting to me because oh this must be collegiate running
1: right Right, and 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 that's how you do it
2: well and i'm a scholarship athlete right Mm -hmm. so and i and i needed that scholarship so Mm -hmm. not not only was i excited by it but i was very beholden i was very thankful Mm. um that i had been chosen and so felt you know, a, a lot like I wanted to please so badly. I just want this person who is giving me this money to, to mm-hmm. just think I was all in. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it was interesting, especially the first fall, uh, watching the culture of the team was just completely different. It was very doggy dog. Um, it was not very bonded. Um, I think we all knew that we weren't fueling enough, um, but nobody was going to say anything. And then the coach started attending meals and making comments and none of us were very big to begin with. Um, but the comments were, and you know, this is collegiate running. So I'm thinking, well, these comments must be real because you know, this person is a collegiate coach and this is a great program. And so I've obviously I need to get my stuff together. Mm -hmm. Wow. Um, the great thing was I was able to contact my old coach at some point when, when I started Mm -hmm. getting injured, Mm -hmm. I contacted my old coach and, basically said, I, I think this is wrong. I don't think this is right. I don't think mm-hmm. it's right for me. He didn't by any means uh, say anything bad about the program that I was involved in. He just kept saying, you're the only one with your body. Yeah. You, you know what your body's feeling. You know what's happening. So, you know, what are you going to yeah. do to make it
1: better? So yeah. Such a great that's,
0: emphasis from him. I know. Way Thank to go, God. Hugh. Yep. Yeah, Hugh, seriously. Right? <laughs> what would, given that, like, if, if an athlete's listening to this podcast and has the experience of having, kind of, a coach that doesn't see them as a whole person or is, is giving them, um, just training and nutrition advice, and uh, what what kind of advice would you give an athlete that's in that the situation currently?
1: Hmm.
0: That's a great question. That might not have the hue. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I th- well,
2: high school especially is a time for self-advocacy and to learn about it, and and so is college. I mean, um, it's 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 kind of a rough thing to mm-hmm. say. I think you just need to, if you inherently n- know that this isn't working for your body, you just need to have that conversation. I would hope now, as opposed to then at least, but now it's... It, 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 People have at least heard the phrase before, self-advocacy and that sort of thing. Um, I guess maybe just finding a safe person to bring with during that conversation, whether it's a really close friend or whether it's another adult, an adult that you could bring into the conversation to, to, to talk to the coach one-on-one with somebody who felt safe with that athlete to say, this isn't feeling right. This isn't feeling like it's sustainable um, as a lifelong choice. Yeah. And, and you know if you're getting chronically injured or chronically ill, that's probably
1: it's not supposed to happen No, right.
0: right it's not yeah your body's not supposed to feel that bad right which is that's even something to be shared to for right. athletes because sometimes athletes wouldn't even know that. I didn't know that.
1: right. <laughs> I right. know did, did you did you feel kind of broken a lot? yeah and, and just
0: to not I couldn't see the problem. I couldn't see the issue until
1: you're right. later. Yeah. Yeah, we've talked before in conversation about about sport um around the idea that you can still be really obviously competitive and the way that you're approaching the sport itself um and rather I'm not going to be saying this well. <laughs> I care I want you to say this well. Just like that we've talked so much about like how the difference between the qualitative and the quantitative um, approach Mm -hmm. to the sport matters so much. Um, And in that, you could be pushing yourself so hard. And this idea of no pain, no gain is always out there. And clearly, there's maybe some amount of pain that's good, right? Right. For sure. But for many, that's the main message that they hear um, they don't know how to nuance what is good pain. Yeah. What is good pain? Yeah. Right. Pain? Yeah. right. So
0: that's Fat- like Fatigue a, versus injury. Yes. Right? Which is yeah. a conversation we have in our rethinking group and people, have, you know, it's like no one has had that conversation before. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so They've either, either heard from a coach or a sport experience that you just push it to the limit at all points. Like they don't know what right. what they're looking for. Yeah. Right. Workouts going yeah.
1: to destroy you. Mm-hmm. You know, you and, should
0: be puking at the end. Right. And, and that's, that's a point of pride. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Exactly. Right.
1: right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
2: Yeah. yeah there mm-hmm. there are definitely tough workouts where they feel like they survive, but you know I think the and, the, and if it's done healthily and they're paying attention to their bodies, that's a great thing. but you don't bang out another one of those the next day, right?
0: Mm-hmm. Um, well, and as as somebody who's stayed um, stayed competing um, past my recovery process, it's been cool to see like to live out what is uh, knowing my body and knowing what is the productive pain and what's the where do you set the limits? So in Mm -hmm.
2: temperament-wise, we find a lot of the temperament things that guide people to making food choices or not making food choices um, translate into their workouts as well, right? They're the Mm -hmm. people who uh, most of the time are tied to their watch Mm -hmm. um, and ask you how many increments you're going to do, which we don't give, Mm -hmm. right? We we give a range, and we rarely ever give the upper range. Mm -hmm. We're going to start with four and see what we get. Yeah. Right. Well, how many is the most? Hmm? Not sure. Now, that makes a lot of people nervous. <laughs> I know. Right. Because you don't know. But for the people who the temperament people who it, it says on the sheet four till eight. So I'm going to do eight. Otherwise, it's not right. Yes. <laughs> so we'll never give the we, don't, we try not to give the eight. It's it's that same. We We try to undo that temperament a little yeah. bit or at least have them play with experiment with
0: flexibility. Mm
2: -hmm. And talking about their temperament. Yeah. I know you want to do the maximum number today. How about we just take a number today and try it? Yeah. How about you take off your watch today Mm -hmm. when we do this? And and we're not going to do a pacing workout. We're just going to run. And my gosh just craziness on the you watch. I coached
0: me. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I know, like, I She's should like run an over-controlled <laughs> um, expert coach. Yeah. You like yeah. get the over-controlled temperament. Oh man. Mm-hmm. Wow. You got to listen to that episode we did on over-control. It's like you're to. totally addressing over-control, which that you're basically doing flexibility training, mm-hmm. which yeah. is incredible. Well, and it, don't you think it's tied? Yeah, to, to the same kind of food things. Oh yes. Absolutely. oh yeah, right. That's right. why. That's so our treatment is called radically open dialectical behavior therapy. <laughs> wow, and it's to <laughs> yeah, treat over control, <laughs> okay. and then the manifestations that you'd see in eating, movement, all of these things. Right, you'd see it across kind of across the board in somebody's life. The the over control showing up. Really interesting.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. So we vary the places that we work out at, and we don't measure sometimes. Well, actually. We do measure. <laughs> we measure how far things are, but we're not going to let them know how far it, far it is. Also, so that if they're wearing watches, you know, so they have they daughter. have no yeah yeah. <laughs> it, it makes no sense um, to them if, for the same reason. Also, we do it for kids who don't have the temperament um, kind of condition of that, just for variety. Right. Because Mm -hmm. a lot of people like variety and it's more entertaining to have variety and it's more exciting to experiment. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it works for both both groups. For both groups. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So great. So fun.
0: You're basically that's what I do in um, individual exercise experientials. Really? Yeah. What do you do? Like the whole I mean, exactly what she's talking about. The no watch is the different route, like playing around with flexibility about their rigidity. Okay, so so (laughs) we assign things
2: like you have to eat blueberries. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, you have to find blueberries and eat them yeah. and things like that yeah but most of the you kids you and them. smell the the, right. the flowers take your take your shoes off and you have to go in the lake or whatever <laughs> totally. it is right? which you know this sounds so fun se- seven-eighths of the kids are like yeah and one-eighth is like this no, is the so stupidest, stupidest Stupid, thing right? i have ever heard of and in my life like and up. this is doing
1: nothing for <laughs> yeah. my running right. Yeah. Right. right but it is it is
0: and i'm curious do you get with that type of thing do you get any pushback from parents that are all that are over controlled uh, from on the temperament side, do you get parents that come back and say, oh, why, why were you doing that? That was so stupid. Or like that was, what's the point of that? What's, why is that not productive? You know, cause you're, I think right. of the parents part of it too, but less in cross country than track um, track,
2: which is so finite and tends mm-hmm. to be on the track. Um, it's, you know, why, why aren't we doing two hundreds yet? Or why, mm-hmm. why aren't we doing a higher volume or how
0: come you're pick it? Yes. Track okay. track. Tra- we get more questions. questions. They probably know more on track, right? Like they know more what their kid is doing versus. Right. Yeah. Right. When the kid
2: comes home and might complain about the blueberries, but can't tell really how far or how many increments they did right. over this weird place that we went to, it's harder for them to yeah. kind of wrap their arms around it. Yeah.
1: I think. Yeah. That's so cool. It is very cool. Oh it my gosh. probably leaves parents in a place of having to. Cool. I don't know, maybe it plays out this way, but having to trust you all a little bit more because they can't really control, oh, I know exactly what's happening here. I can get kind of in the nitty gritty details of being a part of what's happening for my child. And they're kind of let more into a place of, okay, well, my kid's on a team and they're being led well. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I would imagine that would translate really easily. And since we race on
2: different courses in cross country, too, you can't even compare times. I mean, you kind of can, Mm -hmm. um, but it's harder, but it's, it's much harder. It's much mm-hmm. harder in different parts of the season. You're going to race differently. And if it's dumping down rain, it's going to be muddy and have different results, too. So I think it's harder to
0: quantify the results at cross-country than it is at track. Yeah. So, so fun. I love hearing that. she. Yeah, Sally had <laughs> told me a couple of those stories before about ways that she brings in flexibility. And, man, it's like she needs to tell the, the world
1: that. <laughs> <laughs> How do you think this translates into your— um like the different teammates' relationships to each other, mm. obviously the community aspect, but are they interacting with each other pretty differently? Mm-hmm. I, th- I think I um, think
2: I think because everybody's hopefully starting to know themselves so well that then when we start doing goal setting and goal sharing, we do it in like small random groups, just mm. totally random. They switch out every week um, that they listen to what the other people's goals are, and then after the races. They're asking each other, "Wow, did you do that hill the way you wanted to?" Mm-hmm. And they have those kind of conversations, which give the kind of mini pats on the backs and the mini moments of joy. To yeah. have you know a, a varsity, cool. a varsity runner, and you're the number sixty seven runner, know that you are working on these hills, and then you say, "Yeah, I killed that hill," and you get a high five from this person, and or um, I think the person, the number sixty seven runner or whatever, knows what the goals of that top runner are. And can have that dialogue. There's a reason to go up to that person and say, "How is your finish? And even nuances within teammates who are running close to each other. One person has a lot of fast twitch muscle fiber and somebody else doesn't. So somebody else has to put a a kick on with a 1,000 meters to go because that's where that kick has to start. And somebody has a 200-meter kick Mm. and they wind up kind of finishing and duking it out at the same
1: place.
2: It's really cool for them to know what each other's strategy is and what each other's strengths are um, so that they can kind of just be really authentic and and know that their teammate is also authentic but in a really different way.
0: Yeah. Mm. Very cool. Um, I know we're probably getting close to time, so I do want to ask um, a little bit more about where we started of um, talking about the, the power of being a coach for the whole athlete, the whole person versus just the performer. Um, so I'd love to hear. I know I've heard a couple stories that really um, illustrate that with the way that you coach. Um, I remember one point you were going to a hospital to visit somebody in the hospital and just things that my husband's shared, um, over the years of ways that you really just so obviously care for your athletes as whole people. And I'd love to hear maybe a little bit more about that. And yeah. (laughs) Okay. Um, so first off, uh, our coaching staff,
2: um, there are six of us, um, and I really like the fact that there are that many of us now. That's that's been a long time coming. It was one or two of us for a long time. Um, we all try to engage with everybody every day. Um, oh. the, the, everybody every day,
1: all six of us. And yeah, every single athlete. And, and how every many athletes athlete. do
2: you have? Mm, somewhere between sixty-five and one hundred, depending on the year. Wow. Wow. Um, and it's it's not work, but it's you really need to make sure that you're
1: you're paying attention.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Very intentional. And the theory behind that is that not everybody's going to engage with everybody else. Not everybody's going to think that I'm trustworthy and not everybody's going to think that they can confide in me. But within the six of us, because there are, we're kind of a, a variety of people with right. a variety of different kind of talents and persona, um, that somebody, that most kids are going to find a person or mm-hmm. two on our staff um, to be really close to. And so that's what happens. I mean, um, you go and watch them in plays or an orchestra performance or they tell you about a big test that's coming up and you go and sit with them before the day before and talk to them about the test and ask them about the test the next day. And um, yeah, it, it translates even into things now that I Am matured in my <laughs> coaching career, where I, I'm going to weddings and and, wow. and 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 people have babies and things now too wow. that I get to so relate to, which is great. Um, and yeah, I think I think since we're valuing the whole person uh, that they let us in on who they are as people, and because of that, we all have this these great opportunities that just appear mm. um, to to be in part of their lives. I mean, it's a gift. I mean, yeah, we really. Mm. This is this is an incredible thing that we get to be a part of.
1: Yeah, that's so cool. I mean, I honestly find mm. myself emotional hearing you I talk. Know. <laughs> I am too. <laughs> I've been on teams, but like I didn't feel good on those teams. And I'm like, ah, oh, how would I mean, how big of an influence that would be on yeah. a kid's day? Um, well, and, and, and that they have each other, right? right. Yeah, I mean, right. Right.
2: it's lovely to be a coach of this, but to watch them interact mm-hmm. and to watch them go to the line, we had a particularly great group of kids this year who all wanted to go to the starting line. And having that many kids want to go mm-hmm. to the starting line is a pretty interesting phenomena. It's really difficult to get everybody to want to go out there and be brave and mm-hmm. put it all out there. And um, and they did. And it was, it was wonderful to watch them. And once you've been through a cross-country race, especially, um, you're kind of in this group where Oh, you ran cross country. Oh, wow! You know everybody has that, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's kind of cool to watch them around school, mm-hmm. um, even when they're doing their other sports now too. Yeah, it's so, it's
0: great community. Yeah, so cool.
1: Yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining us. This has been really fun. Oh, so to fun. hear about it's been really fun, and I feel I I honestly, as a non athlete, feel surprised at how moved I <laughs> feel by this, which has been. A great thing to be kind of witness mm. to, um, and just yeah, to get to hear about kind of your perspective and and how much of a relational approach and so much intention and so much thoughtfulness and care mm. you're bringing, and obviously teaching such wisdom to your athletes, it's yeah. quite an inspiration. Yeah. Thank you. And yeah. I
0: hope for Thanks. all the athlete listeners just too that kind of to know that this exists, this type mm-hmm. of coaching can exist, and I don't know, just what risk maybe. Um, you can take in self-advocacy after hearing yeah. this and maybe what you can ask your coach or what you can talk to a teammate about um, just to consider that. Yeah. To, and to pay close attention to their own bodies and the, how yeah. how things are working. Yeah. Did you have any uh, last words or anything no. that you don't feel like we got to no, get to that you wanted all. to? Okay. Not at all. Oh, Thank you. True pleasure. Thanks so much for listening to this episode. I have to say, one of the gifts of this pandemic is that I reconnected to my high school distance running coach, who I haven't seen for over 20 years. We ended up having dinner together outside, of course, and I got to meet her kids who are actually runners themselves in college and got to revel in the fact that this is one of the coaches in my history that really cared about me as a whole person. And I got to actually thank her for that. And it was a really meaningful experience to once again, share our lives together, catch up over in the last 20 years, and feel the presence of her really deep care of who I am as a person and who I've become. So that was a, just such a gift to reconnect to her and really celebrate a coach of mine who has invested and really cared about me as a whole person. We want to thank David Bozzi for the editing of this episode Camille Dodson for administrative support, and of course, Aaron Davidson for the Appetite's original music. Thanks, and see you next time.